Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me in Las Vegas, Nevada, with his butterfly sweater is Matt Morris. What is up, pal? How are you? That's good, man. Yeah, we uh, we have done it. We have checked off everything from the necessity list. We got the dresser. We got the TV. We got the Apple TV for Christmas because we were using a PlayStation 4. Is that, are we on five now? Okay, I'm losing I track. Think the nice one's five, yeah. The nice one's five. So we were using a four I in think. the bedroom, and I said, forget this. It's too finicky. So, uh, yeah, dude, we had you know great Christmas. Um, you know, we're, we're on to the next phase of life, and uh, we're feeling it. Yeah, I feel you, bro. Christmas is good this year. Um, I feel like this year it hasn't been very wintry quite yet. Obviously, you live in Vegas. I live in California, so the word winter is relative for us. But across the country, I feel like it hasn't been in my nine to five talking to clients. And um, it's about to start pumping in here where I live. The swell, the waves, the water, the wind is all starting to pick up. So I feel like we're going to have a long December and January. But it feels nice that basically, you know, once this is out, the episode will be out. It'll be close to the new year. We'll move on to 2024 and big goals for us here at the podcast for our listeners. You know, we got some stuff coming in the pipeline, some stuff that you and I are going to hold each other accountable for in the new year regarding some things. And I'm looking forward to it just as much as I'm looking forward to the end of this football season as it's ramping up. Yeah, man. And, you know, I think I think change is change is good. And we've been doing this now. This is what, three and a half years. Is that where we're at? Maybe. I, I honestly yeah. don't know. Oh yeah, we lose track, but um you know it's time to grow a little I bit. I think it started I think it started in twenty twenty one. Maybe twenty twenty. Maybe it yeah, was twenty twenty. Yeah. There you go. Well twenty twenty four is gonna be a good year. You know, we've obviously committed to continuing to do this and, and growth hasn't necessarily been on our side and that's okay. It's part of learning in the process, but uh, hopefully we have some cool stuff for you next year. Hopefully we've uh, got some money coming in and we can provide yeah, more yeah. value. That's the goal. Yeah, that'll, that'll help. And, and we're, we're turning in the right direction there. Um, we got a little bit limited time, so we're going to jump right into it. Not as much of a little conversation to start the podcast here. Before we did talk about football and some of the topics we want to talk about and some of the big games, uh, I wanted to kick it over to you because we did have last week Yamamoto sign with the Dodgers. He didn't end up going with the Yankees. Goes in on a, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was 12 years, uh, 350 with the Dodgers after not pitching one pitch in the major league baseball in major leagues. Uh, you kind of called this after Otani was signed, not only that we were going to have a 350 ish range contract, um, but also that he was going to go to LA because of his relationship with Shohei Otani. And from all the reports that I saw and everything that I was reading and watching um, online on the internet was basically that right. Is that, he wanted to go to the Yankees, respected the Yankees, really liked the team, the clubhouse, the tradition, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, what got him to sign on the dotted line was playing with his fellow Japanese teammate, basically this god of baseball at this point in time in 2023 slash 2024. Shohei kind of pushed this over the line. Is that is that accurate from what everything that you saw? Yeah, and I I think in my heart, I really thought that New York had a running chance that Yamamoto might want to chart his own course, you know, go to the 
you know, the other largest market in the United States. I think you can argue one is bigger than the other, but it's very hard to equate these days with how massive LA has become as a market and, and the yeah. value that Shohei provides that market now that he has already signed. Um, and he didn't, he chose to go with Shohei and the Dodgers and, you know, the narrative continued to, to swirl that this is terrible for baseball and, oh my <laughs> gosh, they're spending all this money and how dare they. And, you know, Yamamoto's greedy for wanting an extra $25 million in what the Yankees offered and oh, this and that. And I, <laughs> I think it's absolute bullshit. This is the greatest marketing opportunity Major League Baseball has had in my lifetime. You have two of the greatest stars, international stars, signing in arguably the second to first biggest market with arguably one of the greatest franchises in the last 10 years of player development roster construction, competitiveness. Yeah, they only have one World Series, but this is a franchise that you shoot for. And Yamamoto and Otani together, from a marketing perspective, can grow the game of baseball at a much faster rate paired together than on separate coasts in separated time zones in the United States. The Japanese market will presumably watch almost every single Dodgers game, I would have to imagine. Again, another massive win for Spectrum if they can capitalize on the viewership rights and find a way to you know, sell that to Japan in some way. Um, though that's over my head and over my pay grade. But <laughs> Major League Baseball has to capitalize on this. This has to be a window into international growth. It has to be a window and a, a forecasting and a, an ability to show the rest of the world how much money there is to be made in Major League Baseball. And they have to start growing outside of the United States, outside of the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Japan, they have to really start looking at other markets where they can leverage the product and bring new eyes and new ears into the game. And I think a lot of that also starts with blackouts. If you saw over the last couple of weeks, Minnesota is not going to be blackout restricted in Minnesota. Um, that is obviously tied because of the Bally situation that we've spoken on before. Hopefully, we start to see other markets also remove their blackout restrictions. That is a big problem. We've spoken on the show before. It's a big problem in general here in Las Vegas. I can't watch the Dodgers because it's a blackout restricted state. That hurts because I can't watch Yamamoto. I can't watch Otani. We're making small strides in the right direction, but now is the time for them to really push the marketing envelope with these two massive stars in Los Angeles. I'm very excited. I think this was a massive win for Major League Baseball fans. And I think it's a win for international players because the money is on the table. Yeah, I agree. I, I was just going to say that I think the last piece of it was that is that there's money to be made for international players. And you had kind of talked about it. Um, shoot, dude, I don't remember how long. Don't even remember when we started the podcast. That's where I'm at today. Um, but <laughs> you had mentioned how the international draft in the process is is definitely a little flawed where yep. uh, Major League Baseball teams can go and claim insert player at 12 years old or whatever. And they're like, hey, I'm spending um, it was a uh, Puig was a great example, right? Like, I'm going to go get Yasiel Puig and he's on my Dodgers team, even though he's, you know, underage and we're going to take all his rights like this is could be a step in the right direction for them to hash that out, but still give these guys the appropriate money, maybe not $350 million, but if you go play in Japan, if you're playing in an out of country market that you still have the opportunity to choose your own path and get paid what you 
you know, what the market's willing to offer you. So I think it's an awesome opportunity for international players. I think my take is exactly the same as it was last week. So I'm not going to really repeat how I feel. I, I think it's good for baseball. I think it's good for Dodgers, the Dodgers. And at the end of the day, the rich get richer. And that's, that's, that's the United States, dude. That's capitalism, baby. Like if you got the money, spend it. I think no doubt if you want to alleviate this issue, it's, Plain and simple to me, you have a cap floor in Major League Baseball. So you don't see guys leave teams and lose teams because they have to spend X amount of money and can't be like our damn Milwaukee Brewers and just care about making a profit. So yeah, um, I, I, I think I think that's that's my take is still the same. I, if you want to complain about the Dodgers stacking up a super team, I get it. You're jealous, and I understand that too, right? I don't have a, I don't necessarily have a problem with the Dodgers, so I don't feel that type of hatred. A lot of my friends from Orange County, my Angel fan friends that I have from where I grew up, are super upset about it, and I'm like, you know what? If you're being irrational, like I do understand that. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Like I would be pissed that I lost Otani. <laughs> like I would be pissed that the other team in so- SoCal is just going to be super fun to watch every single day. So outside of that though, from a macro perspective, it's great for major league baseball. And I plan on watching every Dodger game that I can this year. Cause I, fortunately for me, I'm not blacked out. Yeah. And you know, to follow in your sentiment, those that are upset, be mad with your own ownership groups. Blood out, you know, like we are as a fan group, we are the shareholders in a lot of ways of an organization, your viewership, your listening of the product is what pays the bills is what renews the TV contracts. If you have a problem with the lack of spending from your organization, stop watching, stop listening, stop showing up to the gates, completely stop being a fan until changes are made where you can look at an organization and align yourself with the way they're being competitive. I understand that some teams in some markets will not have the same advantages other teams in like Los Angeles or New York will, but you also are making say $150 million off TV revenue and you're spending 68 million. I'm sorry. I don't agree with that product model. I didn't sign on for this to be your business venture. This was a team that I, you know, by nature and by rootedness fell in love with based off where I grew up geographically. I, as a Brewer fan, Probably will not watch more than 10 games this year because I do not agree with the product they're putting on the field. Good luck in five years negotiating your TV deal and you will sell the team and we'll have the same problem continuously until we have an owner that takes over that that just has the desire to win. And again, you speak with the consumption that you have of products and services in this country under capitalism. Yeah, exactly. You know, if they're not going to spend the money, you're not going to win. Look what the Reds did last year, or was that two years ago when they stopped showing up to the stadium? They kind of had their own little self-inflicted boycott uh, as fans. And it's somewhat worked, you know, like they were a little bit better this year. They still haven't spent any money, but they promoted their young guys up. So I don't know. That was was a good little case study on, on what you're talking about. But yeah, man, all in all, baseball talk. Happy for the Dodgers. Happy for Yamamoto. Interested to see where this team, you know, goes into October next year. Like I was saying to my father, I said it's going to be a long season. Is Glass now going to be healthy? Will Yamamoto be healthy? Will Walker Bueller be healthy? Will Dustin May be healthy? Like, will Kershaw be healthy when they inevitably sign him? Right? Like, I don't know. It's still baseball. Okay, so that's the last thing I'll say about it. It doesn't guarantee a title. The Diamondbacks could still win the division. The Giants maybe come out of nowhere. Who fucking knows? You know, 
it's still baseball. This is the only sport where you, in my opinion, cannot buy a championship, but you can spend money to put yourself in a better position to win it all. Just like the Texas Rangers, people forget that they had the third highest payroll this year, right? Like they put themselves in a position to win. They did. The Dodgers did. They didn't. The Mets, the Yankees, we talked about it all season. They spent all this money. We showed up and they were a laughing stock when we were in New York for your bachelor party. So it, it doesn't guarantee anything. Injuries happen. 162 games is why we love it and why I don't think anything to change. And that's just a topic for another time for the for the purist in me. Any any last thoughts from you, sir? No, it's it's beautiful to see a team actually spend money. Uh, that's it. You know, all these other teams are, you know, there there are variables in play with the TV contracts, but it's it's at least nice to see that the Dodgers are going for it. And I think the piece you said, where it's you can spend the money and put yourself in a position. The Dodgers have had great teams; they've been favored to win World Series, and they haven't. And that's the beauty of baseball. At the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter how much money you spend. It matters who's hot at the right time, what the clubhouse chemistry looks like, what the manager's decisions have been, Bruce Bochy being hired, you know, Corey Seager not signing with the Dodgers. There's so many little variables that you look back on history and say, ooh, that's how the Do- that's how the Rangers won this World Series. Well, the Cardinals gave up on Randy Arozarena and Adolis Garcia. What could they have had an outfield look like? It's it's a beautiful yeah. sport. And the Dodgers are definitely, you know, doing things, in my opinion, properly. And it'll be it'll be a great run on the West Coast. Yeah, and that's what makes sports spe- special, right? The little things like you just said, right? Well, the Corey Seager, Aroldis Garcia, blah, 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 right? And we're seeing that as we transition here to football with the Detroit Lions, right? That was the first thing we wanted to talk about for the first time in 30 years. 30 years they won the NFC North. Think about that, bro. That's our lifetime. The first time, 30 years they won the title. Right. And to your point about, oh, what what do they should have done with this guy or that guy all stems to that Matt Stafford trade a few years ago. Right. Which is turning out to be one of the biggest win wins in NFL trade history that we've seen recently. Right. Obviously, a win for the Rams. They won the title and Stafford's playing at a top five level right now. He's playing really, really good football. The Rams are actually a sneaky, dangerous team. I don't know if they're a Super Bowl team, but. I think they're a team that no one really wants to play if they do end up uh, making it into the playoffs these last two weeks. And then you go to the the Lions, right? They get Jared Goff. They get the redheaded stepchild. Like, here, we'll give you Goff, right? Take Goff. Have fun with him. Uh, he's probably going to suck. You guys aren't going to win a game. Take some draft picks, you know? And then here we are three years later. They win the division. They're going to host their first playoff game in 30 years in Detroit. And there is a possibility that Matt Stafford and the Rams come into town to play that game. And now for everyone who listens, you know, we don't like to talk about too much, but yes, you know, we are Packer fans here. I don't want to say I'd sacrifice a Packer playoff appearance, but if they were to not make it and it was Stafford and the Rams going into Detroit for the first playoff game in 30 years, um, I think that's an okay result because that might be one of the greatest storylines in, in my life, honestly, for a playoff game. Like I, I know that sounds dramatic, but that what an unbelievable game and event that would be, huh? 
Yeah, and I'm hoping for that as well. Well, we have three wild cards te- wild card teams per conference. I think that's how it works now. Yeah, it's yeah. I think that's how they do it. And so the right first, now we first team gets the buy. Okay, so presumably we have Dallas, Green Bay or Minnesota. Like I said, Lance. Dallas is in right now. Dallas is in right now as a wild card, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, if today's standings end. So Dallas, possibly Minnesota, Green Bay, possibly Atlanta, New Orleans, possibly Seattle and the Rams. Seattle and the Rams at eight and seven. The rest of those teams I mentioned outside of Dallas are all seven and eight. Um, so the Rams or the Seahawks would presumably have to lose, and one of the Green Bay Vikings, Falcons, Saints would have to also win out. Um, and then tiebreaker clinches and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, the picture is still very murky. Um, oh, yeah. I, agree, I agree with you. I, I would love to see the Rams travel to Detroit. I'd love to see the Rams passing attack, which has been their biggest weapon all year, go up against a poor secondary of the Lions and see can Dan Campbell figure out a way to win that game. Matt Stafford obviously being the better quarterback. I think you look at roster construction, you probably give the favor to the Lions, but it's tight. A little the bit. Rams yeah. have the wide receivers and the Lions do not have a secondary. So I think that'd be a fantastic playoff game. I think it'd be a fantastic first playoff home victory if the Lions could capture that and really cement this rebuild as we've done the right thing. Jared Goff is our quarterback moving forward. Just a few weeks ago, people were having having the narrative that Jared Goff needs to go for interceptions, bad game, flips around, immediately has a great game. And that's the career of Jared Goff. But he is a quarterback that has made the Super Bowl before. He's also a quarterback that, again, has the pedigree to play in the playoffs. This is his opportunity to really showcase that ability against a better quarterback if this plays out the way we just described. Yeah, and I mean, that's just something we're going to talk about. Purdy in the Niners, but it's one of those things too. When you see that those stupid comments and that narrative, like "oh, you need to get rid of this guy" or do that, like, not you know, not that we're massive Brock Purdy guys or you know even Jared Goff guys. You like Goff more than I do, but it's one game. You know, dudes are allowed to have one game. You know, four interceptions in a game's a tough night, though, for sure, no doubt about it, right? But then, like you said, he turns around, comes back on what was that Saturday night football or whatever it was, and throws a career high five touchdowns and 400 yards against the Broncos team that have been playing really, really well. So it's football guys are allowed to have bad games, but that's the other side of the story, right? Is Jared Goff, man, the guy that everyone, he was just expendable in that trade. It's like, ah, yeah, they get Goff, like whatever. His career is probably going to be over by 2023, right? Is what everyone thought when he got traded. He's playing like a top 10 quarterback, you know, top 12, whatever. He's a starter in this league. He's someone that you can rely on. And, you know, he's going to be the future quarterback for the Detroit Lions here for the next, you know, three to five years. And we'll say three years, right? Unless Hendon Hooker really develops behind him. But they have a really good team. They have a really good shot at this. Honestly, making it make it run to the Super Bowl. Their secondary is terrible, but. With the teams at the top, I don't know who else is going to compete with San Francisco. Right now, I'd put Detroit right there with Philly and Dallas. They all have their flaws, but no better time than now for the Lions to to win a playoff game and potentially get themselves in an NFC Championship game. So, hats off to the Lions. I'm really stoked for them and Dan Campbell. They they've done they've pushed all the right buttons. Well, I think that transitions us right into the 49ers conversation here. 
you talked about flaws. We had hyped them all season as the the best team in the NFL, the most primed for an opportunity to crown them Super Bowl champions. And this was going to be a test that you and I spoke about last week. I thought this test was going to be met by the 49ers. I thought that Lamar had really one option in this game to go third level and really try and attack the weakness of the 49ers, which is their secondary. And I thought there was a really good shot that Purdy was going to be just enough to be able to overcome a good Ravens defense. And I think we saw firsthand this past week, you saw the game. I more or less looked at the box score. So you'll have more of a viewership outlook than I will. But this is where having a game manager can fall apart. And my comment with to a coworker today was, you know, how many times did Brady have that one really bad game where you're like, damn, maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. And it goes into play with also the comment you made about every guy's allowed to have a bad game. They get to the, the, the opportunity to respond. Purdy's response will be in the playoffs. Purdy's response may be against Lamar in the Super Bowl, but that doesn't take away the fact that the Lions do have an opportunity. There is now a blueprint. Do they have the same players that the Ravens have? No, but there is a blueprint in play. And also the ball just doesn't always bounce your way. That was the big takeaway I got from the game was that some of Purdy's mistakes, they just the ball wasn't in their favor that night. And that's a huge piece as well, especially in playoff football. The Eagles, the Cowboys, the Eagles, they could catch the 49ers on the wrong day, the wrong ga- uh, day in the wrong game, and they could move on. So I think this is definitely a four-team race. Still with the 49ers is my favorite, but yeah, this Christmas game did show weakness, and it showed the ability for the Ravens to beat anyone. Yeah, for sure. For for the Niners' perspective, right? Like, you're not going to win a game you f- turn the ball over five times, right? Like, and you just don't, we don't see that from the Niners. And when we were talking about game manager, game changer last week, is I, I was praising Brock Purdy for his decision making. And to be quite honest with you, this was the worst decisions he's made as a starting quarterback, right? Um, but what I thought was funny uh, from Kyle Shanahan, specifically from the play calling perspective, was they were only down two scores and he started putting the ball in Purdy's hands more. And I was like, interesting. I don't agree with that because to the game manager thing is, do we really need to go all in on having him air it out and put a little bit more pressure on him when he may not be seeing the field as well? Balls might not be coming out as sharp, whatever it might be. And we're taking the ball out of the hands of Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel in the backfield. And it was interception 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 next thing you know the ravens are up three scores and we have to start throwing the ball and what do we know from the history of kyle shanahan coach teams is they don't win when they're playing from behind right and i thought it was a little bit of a miscalculation on his part this weekend or yesterday monday night whatever um getting away from the run Because the one thing that the Ravens were having trouble with, like every other team in the league, was stopping McCaffrey. You know, he was getting two, four, six yards of carry every single time he was touching the ball. And it was something they got away with. And a couple, like you said, there were a few bad bounces, a couple bad bounces here, bad bounces there. Lamar gets the ball. They score. And that's the other part to this, Matt, is that Lamar Jackson is playing outstanding football. There's really no way to go about this. I feel like Lamar Jackson is the perfect kryptonite to that 49ers defense because the uh, the Ravens O line was playing well. They were they were holding up, you know, respectively. 
But Lamar's ability to manipulate the pocket and throw the football off balance and on the run and moving throughout the pocket is elite, man. And he's playing the best quarterback I've ever seen him play in the NFL. And him being as fast as he is, mobile and elusive in the pocket is really, really tough for that Niners defense. And what happens when you have Young and Bosa on the outside going for the sack and the quarterback is a, is is a, is a um, is able to escape the pocket is that he can now make plays. He only ran for I want to say forty yards. He was getting out of the pocket, buying his receivers time, and making making accurate throws. And um, it was just a perfect game by the by the Ravens. Outside, I don't know if you saw this outside of the ref tripping Lamar in the end zone yeah, to start the game. That. I was losing my mind, bro. I've never ever seen a play like that before, but. Um, shout out, you know, just credit to Lamar. He, the, the, the trophy's his to lose now, and they have another massive game coming up this weekend. So I had a question for you. Why? Yes. Why did they bring in Sam Darnold? Was there, was it garbage time? Okay. I, I think it was, I think, I think there was a, a multitude of reasons. Purdy two weeks ago got a stinger for the first time, I guess. Um, I thought it was a concussion live in Arizona when he ended up getting hurt, but I guess it was just a stinger re it uh, on a Jadavian Clowney sack, which, by the way, amazing freaking signing. He's playing out of his mind. Looks amazing for Baltimore right now. Um, but, yeah, he got hurt. They brought Darnold in. Darnold looked fine, you know, but they were down three touchdowns when it happened. Trent Williams was already out. And, yeah, I, I think it was more or less a, hey, you know what? It's over. If Sammy can bring him back and win this game for them, for us, sure. Um, I, I see. I've seen all sorts of stuff online that. Oh, I see. I know a benching when I see some guy get benched before. Like, I, I don't know if I would take it that far. Purdy had a bad night. It happens, bro. It it happens when you're when you're an average quarterback, right? Like when you're when you're. You know, I'll say above average. When you're a good quarterback, like a game manager, whatever. I, I don't, I'm not trying to disrespect him at all. He had a he had a tough night, man. <laughs> he had a tough night against well, a good physical team. We piss on the idea that benching is like a, a natural like thing, but you look around the league, the Patriots have done it this year without the intent of, hey, you're not necessarily losing your job. You've had a bad day. Take the bench, right? Sam Howell, two weeks in a row, take the bench. It's not your, it's not your day, right? Well, there's no reason to continue to send you out there when you're not ready for this. Or this team is up. just too good for you. And from Purdy's perspective, yeah, we need you. We need you next week, and we need you the week after, and we need you in the playoffs. And what do you think about from other sports when players are having bad games? Hey, go ahead and take the bench. Obviously, it doesn't happen to LeBron. It doesn't have to happen to Tatum, but I mean, it does in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely, man. He, like you know, people hit the bench when you're having a you're, really bad game. And you're down twenty five, okay. and you can't hit a fucking jump shot. Like, hey, it's game. You know, it's game forty five of the season. Go, go, go! Get the ice on the knees. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just. Shit happens, bro. Yeah, exactly. And I just Sorry, don't think we've I seen enough of point. that. Well, we just haven't seen enough of that. Like, it's. It, I think it's player preservation. I think it's player preservation physically and mentally. You know, if Purdy stays out there and he throws two more interceptions with six interceptions, how you feeling about that game? That could be career-altering yeah. confidence <laughs> knock. That could be detrimental to the rest of the, the organization's future in this current regime. You take him out, protect him, run him out there the next week. You know, it, it's okay to have that and it's okay to be 
showing weakness like he showed this week, because I think also as you show a blueprint of how to defeat a team, you also give the opportunity for your team, your current standing members to see, hey, why did we fail so badly here? Right. And you mentioning the Trent Williams injury. It's like, well, what do we talk about? Who can they not lose? Trent exactly. Williams. That is the number one building block of the entire franchise. They're all pro Hall of Fame left tackle. And, you know, how, okay, what went wrong when he went out? How do we devise a plan in case we run into this in the playoffs? Maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times. We need to win those games. So I think all around it was great for the Ravens, honestly good for the 49ers because they showed weakness and they've got to figure out how to tighten up those weak windows. Yeah, for sure, man. Like a, a loss, a loss is okay. I've been saying it all season on the pod is the, a loss for a contending team in the regular season isn't the worst thing in the world. And I wish I could have told my 21-year-old self that every time the Packers would lose when they were good. <laughs> um, no, but for real though, you know, it, it's a good learning experience. Make sure guys are healthy. Um, huge win for the Ravens, but if they meet again in the Super Bowl, the matchup doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like this game does not matter if they end up playing in the Super Bowl again because no one will remember that. Yeah, man, I think that's a, I think it's a perfect transition over to the other game that we had talked about going into the weekend was uh, Dolphins Cowboys. And you know, I said it when you asked me the question, like, or you know, who's this a bigger game for? It's like, unfortunately, whoever loses this game, it's going to be a worse outcome, and whoever wins, it's going to look good. Like it was just one of those, right? Like yeah. you can argue, argue till the end of uh, until you're out of breath over it. But unfortunately for the Cowboys, they were the ones that lost this game. I think a, another loss this season that was not on Dak Prescott, right? I thought he played really well. He had one blunder though; they did fumble. I think it was like on the five yard line early in the game. Um, just a classic, you know, miss exchange at, at the line of scrimmage. And it, it honestly lost him the game, but I thought their defense played well. Um, I thought they handled that Miami team super well. And I thought Tua played great as well too. So I, I think overall the quality of the ball game was exactly what we thought it would be. But at the end of the day, man, um, the Cowboys just couldn't get the stop at the end of the game and, and good on Tua. That was the, honestly, I couldn't tell you the last time I, or, or ever <laughs> outside of college that I saw Tua go lead a game-winning drive to ice the game. And I think that was the point that you were making coming in was that I want, I think this is more pressure on the Dolphins because I haven't seen Tua and the Dolphins under this Mike McDaniel you know, uh, regime take over a game and win a game that they were supposed to have. Um, and, and that's exactly what they did this weekend. And that last drive, making big throws, good decisions, not turning the ball over, not putting the ball in harm's way to end up getting, I think it was like a 22-yard field goal to win the game is exactly, I think, what you wanted to see out of that Miami team. Yeah, and we talk about battle-tested and the ability to go into the playoffs with confidence and the ability to have moments where you're replicating situations in big-time games. The Dolphins are going to get that exact opportunity. It started with Dallas. It comes into play this week against Baltimore on the road, 10 o'clock game. So, you know, yep. we can feel a certain way about that. It, it, we might see an upset. We might not. I think those 10 o'clock games are, are finicky at times. Uh, but then they finish out the season at home against Buffalo. This could be a game that puts the entire division on the line. We had spoke about that in you know, pre-recording notes. Like there is an avenue where if the Ravens win this week against the Dolphins and, and Buffalo also wins and then goes on the road and wins, the Dolphins may not win this division, which we had thought was locked up for a few weeks now. But 
this is the starting point. This is what changes an organization. This would cement a new young head coach opportunities and wins like they had against the Cowboys. And then we're going to see how this story plays out over the next two weeks. But going into the playoffs, they have to have confidence. Tua has to have opportunities and has to um, succeed in opportunities to finish games. Like this is developmental key moments for this team, this quarterback, this head coach. And that's why for me, it was so important to the Dolphins. Now we look again at the flip side and you mentioned it. This is bad for the Cowboys. Yeah, they're a full game now behind the Eagles and probability says they're going to be the wild card team, which is okay, but they have been a home monster all season. So (laughs) yeah, you know, this loss is really important for the Cowboys as well. But for me, this could be the changing point for Miami in terms of favorites in, in the AFC, because we talked about the Ravens and how much we like them. Well, they have holes as well. They played a really, really good football game. They showcased some of the best attributes that team has. Let's see how the Dolphins stack up this week. Can they make it a seven-point game? Can they make it a three-point game? Can they win the game? A lot of that will show me, okay, who they are and who they are expected to be in the playoffs. And they can beat the Ravens. I will tell you, I think it's a lot more wide open than I thought it was coming into this week. Because as it stands right now, it's like the Ravens are going to be a very difficult team to to beat. But we said that about the 49ers too. So um, a lot of takeaways from last week. But the biggest one was Miami. Hey, check mark. They, they did the first thing on on their list that I needed to see from a young football team. Um, we'll, we'll see that moving forward. Same thing. Ravens, check mark. Niners, check mark in regards to, hey, they, they showed weakness. We will see more of those check marks, I feel like, here in week 17. Yeah, those three AFC teams, the Bills, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bills, the Ravens, and the Dolphins, the, the, the check marks. I really love that analogy there that you're just kind of, we're just visually checking this stuff off is kind of what we've been talking about all season, right? Is that, hey, this is the opportunity for those three teams specifically, those three coaches, those three quarterbacks, those three organizations, everything to have a year to make their Super Bowl run. Like this is it. The window is open because of what we've been seeing for the past month from Kansas City. And it was replicated again Christmas morning is that the Chiefs are vulnerable. I don't know if it's the roster, if it's the coaching, if it's the attitude, but there is a glaring, glaring difference in this Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs team than there has been over the past three years. They are not the juggernaut that they were. They are struggling. They are they're getting beat, right? They they is a chink in the armor of the king. So it is up to the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Bills to take advantage and go through these games right now at the end of the season, right? If the Dolphins beat Baltimore, beat Buffalo, get the one seed. Okay, now how many more boxes have we just checked right there? We know we can beat two really, really good teams. We have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, so everyone needs to come down to Miami. On the flip side, right, you get the Ravens. They beat the Dolphins this week, solidify the one seed. They can rest up a little bit, get Lamar going, get the boys ready. They can finally make that run that they've been trying to make since Lamar's MVP season of 18 or 19, whatever that was. And then lastly, the Bills. Holy shit, Matt. For everything that we've said, all the crap that we've talked on them kind of throughout the year and how they've ran their team, they pull off a division win and win that entire division over the Dolphins in two weeks. Now we're really talking about a team that's been kicked, bent down, and overcome severe adversity 
going to get a home playoff game, might even get another one against Kansas City, depending on how they close the game, the, the season off. Long story short here is the window is open because the king is wounded. There is a chink in the armor. There is a blueprint to beating Kansas City. Well, and I think that plays right into one of our last final topics. I mean, yep. both do, right? Like the AFC West, what we thought of it just a year ago, two years ago, was this was Kansas City's division. And yes, it still is this year. But I think we're forecasting to the 2024 season. And, you know, we've talked on the show that this is a wide receiver issue. I'm starting to think it's a much bigger issue. I'm starting to think even the wide receiver, one wide receiver you bring in, two wide receivers you bring in, there are more flaws within this organization that we may not have realized that were covered up by Tyreek Hill, that were covered up by the ability of one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and Patrick Mahomes and one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Things are changing. Kelsey's getting a little bit older. Mahomes, a little more banged up at times, less weapons on the field. Defense. Plug and play every single year. You're trying to find guys at a discount to bring in and elevate their play performance. And I think what we're looking at for a 2024 season is a wide open division. Yeah, the Chiefs are probably going to solidify some of these problems. We can expect that they're going to bring some wide wide receiver talent in. But Chargers, hiring a new head coach could completely change the momentum of this team. This defense that is highly paid. These wide wide receiver room, which is highly paid as well. A new running back's coming into the equation. We don't know what the expectations for the Chargers will be next year. Broncos seem to have figured something out. They are pieces away, but I think the culture and the head coach was the right decision. I think the trajectory with which they're on is closer to competitive in this division now than I thought it was even five, six weeks ago. And that brings then the Raiders to the equation, which seems to be, yes, they don't have the pieces in play, but it seems to have a culture developing under Antonio Pierce, which is exactly what the Ravens, or excuse me, the Raiders have developed as their core foundation is the culture, finding pieces to play with that culture. I think defeating a wounded Chiefs team says a lot about moving in the right direction and now building around that exact foundation, keeping Pierce as the head coach uniting this this locker room with its leadership group and bringing in pieces that actually play with that foundation is a re- really key element where maybe in two years we're talking about the Raiders winning this division, whereas right now they will be the bottom feeder in 2024. You, any team is just a few pieces away, a, a quarterback positional switch away, you know, a Kyler Murray trade from, oh my gosh, how did the Ra- Raiders win 2024? Well, they created a, a culture and they brought in the right quarterback. That's not unfeasible for me at this point. Whereas two years ago, I thought the Chiefs were going to have this division unlocked for the next decade. Yeah, and, and so did I. And, and what I was talking to you about in the pre-recording notes that I wanted to bring up too is <clears throat> maybe this solidifies the Eric Bieniemy rumors over the past, I don't know, was it like five, six seasons where he couldn't get a head coaching job, had to go all the way <laughs> to the lowly Washington commanders <laughs> to, in quotes, prove his worth. And I think outside of the positives that you could take away from Sam Howell and his season and how that offense moved the ball and did relatively well with, let's be honest, a bottom tier quarterback, right? We like Howell, but he'll be a backup here in a couple of years, right? He had his opportunity, didn't necessarily take it, is what happened when he left, right? How is it looking with Matt Nagy over there right now, solely working with Andy Reid? you're starting to see flaws. You're starting to see frustrations and you're starting to see poor play at the end of the day. This is the worst season Mahomes has ever had. Now he's not having a terrible season, but it's the worst season he's ever had. 
kind of like Roger said on Mac show a couple of years ago, right? My down year is a career year for most guys. Mahomes falls into that category, you know, but you are right, man. Kelsey's got two years left max. And then what they have no elite playmakers. I like Rasheed Rice. He's a nice player. He hasn't shown me anything. He's a rookie, so he hasn't shown me anything that he's going to be, you know, a top 10 guy, but they have a lot of problems that they're going to need to fix and not a lot of money to do it. So I am excited to see who comes out of the AFC this year because I there's I don't think it's the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs won't even make that AFC championship game that they've been penciled in for every year. You know, I, I've I've lost a lot of football love this year, and part of it is because, you know, the Packers are rebuilding. And I think one of the great pieces of content that I have seen in this 2023 season was this is a, the look that you Bears fans would have gotten if you had properly drafted Patrick Mahomes. And it was him screaming at his offensive line and his <laughs> wide receivers and throwing his helmet and, and looking disheveled. And it's just funny to me because we've talked about this before and what if he had been drafted by Chicago? What if Matt Nagy had been his head coach? Would we have seen a very different you know, reality play out for all of us? Because, well, he had Tyree Kill and he had Travis Kelsey and he got tutored by Alex Smith and he had Andy Reid. And here we are seeing kind of this on play. And I've stated on the show before, like Patrick Mahomes and what I've seen from him this season is the only reason this team is even a playoff team. So, you know, there is that, but it's... It's interesting to watch, as you said, the king fall a little bit and opportunity rise up for some of these other organizations. And I think to have the Raiders locker room win this this game this past week, for them to really see a future, for them to realize that, hey, there is opportunity for us to, to come together. There is opportunity for this organization to see victory in the future. And, and we can be a winning football team in this division. Like We just beat them. We, we can bond under this. And then from the Broncos, hey, we got to push forward. There's weakness. And I think ultimately with the B enemy comments, absolutely like this, this showcases why he has and should have an opportunity to take over as a head coach. But you know, that's a big difference and it's a far cry to lose a great offensive coordinator. And also for that offensive coordinator coordinator then to be uh, valuable as a head coach. I think um, McDaniels is the perfect example of that. Yeah. You know, just because they were great at their job doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified to be a head coach, but I do think it, it should at least put them in, in severe uh, or in extreme consideration, especially after what we've seen in, in both organizations. What the Washington Commanders have done is a better product than what they've put on the field in the last five years. All right, running through some numbers, some spreads here on the Week 17 matchups. Uh, first one we're going to get into is Detroit, six-point underdogs in Dallas. I actually love Dallas against the spread even. I'd take them by a touchdown this weekend. I think everything's on the line for them. Both teams have um, have made the playoffs, obviously. But if Dallas wants any chance at that home playoff game, they have to win. And I think they're they're gonna they're gonna bounce back after a couple bad games here playing at home. I, I like Dallas. I like them to win by a touchdown. I really do. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think on the road Jared Goff, while it's still a dome, you're going up against a defense that does match up well against Jared Goff and, and his limited mobility. Uh, and Dallas, this is the perfect opportunity for the nar- the narrative that you like to follow, like coming off a loss. Well, they've got a couple losses they're coming off of in just regards to playing good playoff teams. Like they have to 
come and knock the doors down on the Lions this week. I think a touchdown is a perfect, uh, perfect ratio here. Yeah. Um, next game is Miami Baltimore. We kind of talked about it a lot during the episode, so I'm not going to do too much and dive too deep into it, but Baltimore's three and a half point favorites. Now I have seen a stat that basically every single opponent that the Niners play lose the next week because the Niners are so physical out there. I, I thought Baltimore was the more physical team. Now I think the biggest red flag, and I haven't seen anything today as we've been recording or throughout the day uh, before we recorded today about Kyle Hamilton. If he can't go, I am much more nervous about Baltimore's chances to contain the weapons in Miami. Um, I'm actually going to take Miami plus three and a half. I think this is a field goal game. So I like, I think I like Baltimore to win still, especially since they're at home, but this, this feels like a kicked field goal to win the game type of type, type of ball game this weekend. Yeah, no, I think our heads are in the same place this week. Um, I also think you talked about McCaffrey having such a big impact in that game just this past week yesterday. I think you're talking about Moster and uh, ET, uh, not ETN, goodness, HN, uh, really <laughs> providing value here where they have a two headed monster and they really need to lean on that and they need to lean on that speed against Baltimore, opening up the middle of the field for Tua. And if Hamilton is gone, I think those two running backs will really allow Tua to, to lean on Waddle and Hill and it could make things difficult. So I'm as well, three and a half, I will take that all day. I think this is an easy possibility for an upset. Um, but again, it's more of a, a show me game. Like I'm, I'm happy to take Miami here, but if Baltimore comes and just beats the socks off of them, like I'm, I'm going to have a new favorite in the AFC easily. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, another good sneaky, good game, a game that is going to be tough for us Packer fans, but we're going to have to root for them is the Chicago bears, bro. Nope. Uh, if the Packers want to make the playoffs, the bears are going to have to beat Atlanta this weekend. Atlanta holds the tiebreaker. Over Green Bay, obviously the Packers have to win their game too, but um, Chicago's three-point favorites, I actually love them in this spot. The only thing for the listener to monitor with this game is the availability of DJ Moore and Cole Komet. Uh, I haven't seen anything yet. Komet had to leave the game with a knee injury. I don't. I didn't see anything as far as like a torn ACL or anything like that. Took a pretty tough hit to the knee on one of his catches. He had 100 yards in the first half. Uh, but got injured, I think, on his third or fourth catch, whatever it was. Um, and DJ Moore sprained his ankle on his first catch, but ended up playing the rest of the game. So those are uh, Justin Fields' two biggest weapons. And then on top of it, Atlanta is not a good road team. Now they did make the switch to um, not Trevor Simeon. Um, what's our guy? Heineke last week. He looked good. Their defense actually just destroyed Indianapolis. So um, I actually like the Bears a lot here. Minus minus three is no big deal to me. Yeah, and this is a game I think that will really tell the Bears fans what their future is. If Justin comes out and has a bad game without weapons, there's going to be the ability to have the excuse. Well, he didn't right. have his guys out there. But if he comes out and still looks marginally decent, I think it's a slam dunk. You go out, you get Marvin Harrison Jr. We've got the quarterback of the future. We've got a couple weapons already in-house. Adding Harrison Jr. will only amplify his ability. But again, it'll be a hard tell this week if Fields is the guy. And I think solidifying that narrative will be next year or next week, Green Bay, Chicago, finishing out the season. If the Bears can beat the Packers in week 18, I think you've got your guy. But it has to start this week. This is a very big week, especially going against his hometown, Atlanta Falcons. You know, we've talked about Fields possibly being a great fit to go to the Falcons. 
you know, he's going to be extra motivated to also showcase himself in case things go south at the end of the season. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I I do. I'm taking the Bears here and I think it's because I'm seeing an evolution from fields. He is the best quarterback. He is probably the best player on the field in this game. I'm expecting him to have a nice game, no matter the weapons on the field. Yeah, me too. And in in his audition process here, we'll yep. we'll call it the last five weeks. He's I I mean we're, we're big fans of him. I think it's going to take a lot for you and I to uh, to not be a believer in Justin. He he's looked great. Um, now that I'm seeing the next game here too, it'll be fun this off season to play. Where will Justin Fields end up? But the next game on here is that I wanted to just kind of briefly talk about is the Raiders. Is is there a world where the Raiders could pull him off? Is is there is there is there a world? I haven't looked at their draft picks or anything like that. Like, I mean, I don't I think, know. You know I what I mean? Like, is there, I'm just under the narrative that they are not trading him. That's where I'm sitting today. That Justin Fields has done enough, especially in that locker room, to be the guy in Chicago. What they do with that number one overall pick from Carolina, I don't know. You know, do they trade yeah. it and just continue to to build up this draft hall in case? Hey, after next season, he's not the guy. Um, I mean, Caleb Williams sweepstakes, like there's going to be a lot of assets on the table, but if you move that pick, do you also lose out on Marvin Harrison Jr. because of who offers the best deal? And now you're still not giving him the best weapons to surround him. Um, So there's a lot of like roster construction that has to be done in terms of how we play everything out. But I mean, the Raiders are sitting at seven and eight. They win this week, which that's why I wanted to bring up the game. I'm like, shit, dude, they're. They're clinging on to that last spot. Obviously, they win this game. Boom! There's a tiebreaker over an eight and eight team. Yeah. Um, Houston. I don't know what's up with Stroud. I don't know if he's still going to be in concussion protocol. He's having a hard time getting out of protocol. He didn't play last week. They're playing Tennessee, who freaking sucks. But yeah, man, they're right in it. They're three point dogs in Indianapolis. Indianapolis hasn't been playing good, and that Raiders defense is buzzing, bro. Like I, I love the Raiders plus three this week. You know, like the, I feel like the Raiders are doing what the Packers always do is like I give me enough reason to just break my heart, you know, but yeah. I love the Raiders in this spot in Indianapolis. What, what about you? Um, I think no, you don't love them like I do. No, I think we're <laughs> yeah. for a lot of time. I, <laughs> OK, they, they don't have the pieces that the Colts do. They don't. I, I love Pierce, but I don't think he's an X's and O's guys per se, even though he's a former player, at least not from the offensive end of the game. And I, I think the Colts at home have done more this season to surprise me than maybe anybody else outside of the Raiders. And I think Garner has a significant leg up at the quarterback position. Um, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Indianapolis this week and kind of put to bed this idea that maybe the Raiders still have a shot at the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought about that. Did you see, sorry, sidebar here before we go. I, I don't see another game said the Packer game. I want to talk about, um, a uh, big cat on Barstool on uh, part of my take today. He 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 put it out into the to the universe, the internet universe. Uh, the Bears to trade their first round picks, Fields, to the Chargers for Herbert. No, and I said it's never. And he even said it's never going to happen. Right? No, absolutely not. If they send that offer to me right now, L.A. Chargers sends me Justin Herbert for Justin Fields. And two, three draft picks, including my first rounders. Absolutely not. I don't think the percentage of difference between Herbert and Fields is large enough for me to consider that with the amount of money I'm paying Herbert on top of the lack of ability he has shown in the playoffs to get to the playoffs 
I understand that Brandon Staley was horrendous. We have talked about him more than enough on this show as the detriment to that organization over the last three, four years. But you're talking about taking away from me Marvin Harrison, maybe Caleb Williams, uh, another top 10, top 12 pick, on top of maybe a franchise quarterback. Maybe Justin Fields is the franchise guy and it just has not worked out yet. There is no shot. There is absolutely no shot. I would even consider the deal and I would just overall stop negotiating with the, the Chargers for an office for the longevity of their tender <laughs> in office. So they would be over. Though That call would be blocked. Those emails Lose would be number. blocked. Lose my number. Don't ever consider it again. And I understand from Bears fans' perspectives, we need the quarterback. You probably have the quarterback already. Justin Fields is probably the guy. This week will be big to go into that. Next week will solidify that in one way or another. If he loses to Green Bay and looks bad, he's probably gone. But Caleb Williams is probably in. Justin Herbert has no chance of being in Chicago if I'm in that front office. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a beautiful hypothetical question. I was actually like, you know what? This is why you guys have one of the best podcasts out there, ratings-wise. You know, you could feel however you'd like about him. Um, you feel Herbert is that close to Fields? That that's that's an interesting one to me. I don't know if I agree. I don't heavily disagree. But once again, I've said it three times already on the podcast. Is I'm a lot higher on fields than everyone else. So I, I still believe in him. I still think that he has an opportunity to be a starting quarterback in this league. If you look at a lot of the teams we talk about, and especially teams we don't talk about on this podcast, they would love to have Justin Fields in a heartbeat. I mean, well, think about it, though. You're not only trading Justin Fields, you're trading Justin Fields and maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. You're trading Justin Fields and maybe Caleb Williams. I mean, you get to do whatever you want with that number one pick. You're trading Justin Fields and probably your your second first round pick, which is yours, which is presumably a really high impact starter. And that's way too much for me to even partially consider. And I get that's why point. Bears fans are dying for a top 10 quarterback, but I'm sorry, I'm not taking him. Now, if this were CJ Shroud, maybe we'll have a conversation. Maybe, maybe I'll at least kick around like some negotiating tactics where I'll give you the 12, I'll give you Fields. Um, I'll give you a third and I'll give you next year's second. I, I can understand that he has shown on the field to be an electric quarterback and Herbert has as well, but he's been paid. That is the biggest aspect of this conversation. He's already allocated a ton of money, which straps the organization. We've talked about that for three years now on this show, but big cats undying love for his team, I think has blinded him from the reality, which is how the NFL money works. And <laughs> yeah. Herbert just has not done enough. Now, lastly, if this is Mahomes, done deal. Yeah, I'll do it. I mean, no there's there's a couple guys that it's yeah. it's a no brainer. Um, okay, last game is our game: Packers Vikings Sunday night. Um, game of the weekend, honestly. Ah, okay, second biggest outside of that Ravens um, Miami game. I'll let you kick it off. The uh, Minnesota's one and a half point favorites confirmed today. TJ Hawkinson yep, tore his ACL, MCL. Jefferson looks great. Ty Chandler's been playing well. Packers are dogs. They haven't been able to stop anybody. Who are you picking? Give me your your little take on the on the preview of the game. Yeah, I think Hawkinson was going to be the X factor for me. Obviously injured and done for the year. That's a huge piece. Even if Minnesota squeaks into the playoffs, that's going to ultimately be the piece that ends their season. Um, on top of Kirk Cousins having ended the sure. season far before this conversation. Um, but 
this will be interesting for me for two aspects. Jordan Love gets to go into a dome and they're on the road. But Jordan Love has had issues with the weather over the last couple of weeks. And I'm interested to see if he can really get himself in tempo. The other interesting piece is the Green Bay wide receiving core has been decimated by injuries. Oh, yeah. Tight ends, wide receivers. It's been, you know, week in, week out, you're missing half of this already young unit relying on guys that, you know, had been in limited roles for most of the season. And they've answered the call. And Jordan has answered the call. I think the Packers win this game by 10, uh, this 10 points. I think it's pretty easy. I think they roll over the Vikings. I think this conversation with Joe Barry being fired makes enters in really murky territory because I expect Barry to go through Minnesota and go through Chicago pretty easily. And it's frustrating because he shouldn't have a job. But Jair Alexander in his second game back now, I think does a really good job on Justin Jefferson. There were conversations that he was going to flank him the next opportunity he had to play him. I think it's we see happen. a really competitive Justin Jefferson if Barry allows it. Um, I think the Packers defense steps up in this game. And if not, and they lose, I'm okay with it because Joe Barry has to go. Yeah, I, I don't have any confidence in the defense. I still think the Packers are going to win. Um, I think it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a blowout. Um, as far as like, it's I, I'm see, I'm I'm hammering the over on this game in in layman's terms, right? Uh, I like the way Jordan's looked. I think, and I'm hoping Wicks is going to be able to play this week. Jaden Reed hopefully is going to be able to come back and play this week. He didn't play last week. Uh, the important piece for the Packers that you didn't mention is that Aaron Jones is healthy, and look what happens when Aaron Jones gets 21 rushes a game. It can really open up the passing game for Jordan Love, even though we have guys out there that you and I respectfully have not heard of. So I like the Packers to win. I do not like them to win by 10 because I don't have faith that Joe Barry and the team is going to do the right thing. And I personally don't have faith in Jair right now. I don't know how bought in he is because right now he's kind of making it more about himself than the team. And that's a, uh, it's a massive red flag to me, but I do like the Packers to win. I think they're just going to give us enough hope going into week 18 to maybe let us down. But at the end of the day, to your Justin Fields comment, right? If they do play week 18, Fields comes in, spoils the Packers season. How do they let him walk out the door? They can't. Yep. Can't. Okay, guys. Well, we'll see you in the new year. This is it, Matt. Till the new mm. year. Goodbye to 2023. Shoo! You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, PitcherBatPod. Later, y'all.